That was awesome. Good job. Um, here we go. Thank you. Right here, this is mine. They're going to lead us in worship. Obviously, they've been doing that. But if I say something good, I need you to say amen, okay? Amen. Because if when you guys sing, they sing. You know what I mean? So if you start doing it, they'll start doing it. <laughs> hey! <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Okay, cool. Well, good morning. I'm excited. I think, okay, I was preparing for this. And so often I try to come up with the right metaphor or the right story or the right example. And I try to say something in a way with a body posture and a tone of voice that sounds like it's wrapping things up to only say a proposition that makes you think, what could really that mean? And then go on with, right? Like, it sounds good, but you haven't actually said anything. You know what I mean? And so I told myself, hey, let's, let's meet with God on Sunday morning. And let's talk with us. Let's just talk about a simple truth. Let's talk. This. And so what I found is that the, the complicated intricacies are awesome. And they're good. And they're faith-building. But I don't think about the intricacy when I'm laying in bed. The thing that runs through my mind is the simple truth of Jesus' love for me. So let's talk about that this morning. Amen? I also got to take every opportunity I can to uh, make fun of David. There's, there'll be consequences, but not immediate, you know what I mean? So just got <laughs> to get them when I can. No, um, I'm excited. I, I think that um, this is going to be good. So let's just let's, let's get right into it. So we've been in, a, we've been in a, a series, Drawing Closer to God. Um, today we're going to be talking about drawing closer to God, even if it hurts. And when I first read the title, I thought, wait a minute, I think I'm hurting enough. <laughs> Even if it hurt, and so let's and so we're going to be we've been going through James and so um, Ainsley yeah James chapter two it says what good is it dear brothers and sisters if you say you have faith but don't show it by your action can that kind of faith save anyone suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good has it done? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, hey, some people have faith and other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good. You say you have faith or you believe that there is one God. I love scripture. When people are like, well, scripture just isn't for like this decade. Like it's like it made sense back then and it's good. It's it's history we learn from, but like it's just not applicable today. I know it's applicable today because the cross-cultural generational tonality 
of this scripture. It says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. (laughs) Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called friend of God. So you see, when we are shown to be right with God by what we do, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions. She hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good work. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of those scriptures where you're like, I'm glad I can just quote the scripture. You know what I mean? I feel like if someone came into your life and said this to you, like the general reaction would be to get pretty defensive. But it's like the scripture said it, so it's like, hey, I didn't come up with it. Like this is the part of <laughs> Go argue with God. I don't know. And so... um we're going to be talking about this. And, and, and so Ainsley, bear with me here. Hey, can we give it up for Ainsley? She's one of our youth. She runs the computer in the back. She hated that. Can you take me to verse 17? Hmm. You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Faith must be alive. It must be alive. Or it's useless. It can't it can't save anyone if it's dead. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. This is sobering for me to read something like this. I think the greatest thing that inhibits learning is the idea that you already know it all. And so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to read, we're going to read through a couple of these verses again. And I, I just want you to, this will be difficult. Listen to it, hear it as if you've never heard it before. Listen to it with a fresh heart, with fresh ears. Faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And so let's go forward two verses. Let's go to verse 19, Ainsley. So suppose, so you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. I love the quote. I I can hear that in so many people's voices. Good for you. The demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Well, and so that got me thinking. I, I was talking with some of my friends and I was talking with David about how 
you know, what is the key difference? What is the difference between believing something and having faith in something? And all the research I've done, everything I've looked into has led me down to the same point that you can believe in something without trusting it. You can believe that something is real and not trust it. But when you have faith in something or someone, to put faith in someone is to invest your trust into them. We must be investing our trust into God. Not just believing He's real. And so, um, when I look at, you know, so then James goes on, he's talking, in verse 22, he's talking about Abraham. And, um, you know, Abraham's kind of relatable. And especially when you get to the parts where, like, he messes up. You're like, yeah, that's relatable. But Abraham, for me at least, is kind of put up on a little bit of a pedestal. And so much so that sometimes when I read through Abraham's story in Genesis, it's almost kind of difficult sometimes to figure out where he messed up. Because he's like that, like, I, I just kind of have him on this pedestal like this. So when they go through the, when James is comparing the Abraham example, I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense, but it's not super relatable for me. But then he gets to the Rahab example, Rahab the prostitute, and that's when I'm like, oh, yeah, that's relatable. Oh, how my heart is prone to wonder how many times have I left the one who has loved me like none other and chased after lesser affection and time and time again been brought back. Oh, Rahab the prostitute is relatable. There's a couple stories in scripture about prostitutes. There's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea is a prophet, a man of God. He's, the, he's, he's a well-liked pastor in his community. He receives very few emails Sunday afternoon about his sermons. He got his church to agree on extremely controversial things, and they were all on one page, and it was, he, was, he was killing it. There's been some... There's been some bad prophets and some good prophets. And Hosea, he was a good one. God said, Hosea, you've, you've, you've had faith in me and you've invested your trust in me in a way that dictates the, the trajectory of your life for many years. You trust me now? Hosea's like, I trust you. Where you say to go, I'll go. What you say to say, I'll say. What you tell me to do, I'll do. It's time for you to find a wife. And Hosea's like, I am listening to you right now, Lord God. He's like, you, go find a wife. You are my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. I am. A, yes, we are on the same page, God. And he says, I want you to go. He, so he's like, where am I going to find? And he says, I'm glad you're trusting me. I want you to go to the other side of town. I want you to go across the tracks to that part of town. And I want you to go to that place. Yes, Hosea, the place where all the drug deals happen. 
yes, the place where people that aren't like you, people that don't do the things you do, go to do those things. <laughs> the place where you would find prostitutes. And I want you to propose. And he's like, propose your plan, propose an idea, and God, I want you to propose and marry. So Hosea goes and finds Gomer, proposes. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing where, where Gomer is rescued out of a sex slave taken across the tracks, taken into a home. She's been saved. And scriptures, um, it'll say that she's been redeemed. And uh, time goes on, and who your friends are, that's important. Um, Abraham was called a friend of God. That speaks a little bit about Abraham. It speaks a lot about God that God would call Abraham his friend. Um, and so, but your friends and your community is very, very important. And so, um, you know, I'm filling in some of the like in-between lines of this story with Jose and Gomer, but I imagine Gomer still knew people from before she had married Hosea. Maybe it started out as, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see, get coffee with an old friend. We're going to catch up at and and it just slowly, maybe quickly, it escalated. And you know, like an avalanche, it gets bigger and bigger very suddenly, and it's unpredictable and it's dangerous. Gomer finds herself back in the sex slave industry. She is now stuck once more. She made deals with the wrong people. She invested her trust in the wrong places. And she's been left out to dry, and she once again is back. She's stuck. And God speaks to Hosea and says, Even while your wife is loving another, go find her, bring her home. This is like my love for my And so when when we talk about Rahab I'm I'm, I'm like that's that's I'm, I know all too well what it means to turn from God to get easily distracted This Hosea is like my love for my Um In verse 26, we pull that one up for me, Ainsley. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Your trusting will lead you into action. What you trust in will lead you into action. And so the Bible compares faith without action 
to a corpse. And let's go on to the next point. Faith without dead, without deeds, is like corpse. And it's foolishness to think it's useful. Um, and so we're, we're called to, we're called into trusting God, even if it hurts. And so um, um, one of the things that Kendra and I, you, know, you, you guys might think, because you know, we have one little boy. She's got another one on the way. Come on now. That you might think, oh man, they're just the, they're such a perfect couple. And they must never argue. And Spencer is so awesome. I know he doesn't argue. (laughs) We do argue. And we have some reoccurring themes and our arguments. And one of those themes that I'm at the center of is a little thing I like to call time management. And one of the problems Kendra thinks we have is that I haven't acknowledged I have a problem with it yet. But why would I acknowledge something that isn't real? You know what I mean? So um, she's like, so our son Forrest, um, he's at preschool. I have to pick him up by 3 o'clock. There's no wiggle room on that. And I'm, and so she'll be like, Spencer, you're going to pick up Forrest at before 3, right? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, okay, Spencer, when you say yeah, 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 that usually means you understand this as like something with wiggle room. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, exactly, that's what I'm saying. And I go, oh, okay. And she's like, what time do you have to pick him up by? And I'm like, pick him up at 3. She's like, no, you have to pick him up before three. I'm like, got it. Before three. And she's like, there it is. Okay. And so she's trusting me to pick up Forrest. She doesn't have a plan B. She doesn't have an alternative if I don't follow through. She, she, she believes I'm real. And she, she, and she, she, so she believes that I'm going to go pick him up. But she's trusting me that I'm going to go pick up Forrest so that when she has, whether it's like like some sort of an appointment or she's going to go get coffee with someone or she has to work, or whatever she's doing around three-ish, she's not operating within that hour as if, okay, I'm going to do my thing, but I'm not going to get too heavily invested into it in case Spencer forgets and then I have to go pick Forrest up. That's not the plan. She doesn't do that because she's, she's operating and her plans unfold in such a way so that she's depending on me to pick him up, not at three-ish, before three. Our faith in Jesus must cause us to operate in life in such a way that the trajectory of what we do, why we do it, and who we do it for depends on Jesus. Then our faith will be alive. 
operating within not just believing that he's real. Not just believing that he's a savior. Not just believing that he rose from the dead. But trusting that he is who he says he is. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that he's going to bring me along and call me his friend. And I'm going to call him my Lord and Savior. Even if it hurts. And so I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to do three things. Um, and I'm going to read these. And at the end of each one, I'm going to say, even if it hurts. Oof. The first one is, um, deny yourself the assumption that you're right all the time. Even if it hurts. Even if you have to admit that your time management isn't what you think it is. <laughs> Deny yourself of the opinion that you're beyond corruption. Even if it hurts. Yeah. Deny yourself of any desire or comfort that says it can do what only Jesus can do. Even if it hurts. Even if it hurts. Verse 26 again says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I looked up, I'm, guys, I'm nuts for this. I'm, I like words and I like what they mean. Like I said, I've been learning how to read for most of my life. And um, I looked up the word that, that, so faith is dead without good works. I looked up that word dead and there's two definitions. There's a literal definition for like, and then there's like a spiritual definition. Um, the literal one is dead to, to be lifeless, um, deceased or departed, um, to be destitute of life, to be inanimate. And then the spiritual definition is to be dead, to be spiritually dead, to be destitute of a life recognizes and is devoted to God. To be destitute of power. Have you ever felt powerless in your life? I'll raise my hand for you. <laughs> I have. I felt powerless in my life. Um, I think that sometimes we, um, I think that, you know, there's the, there's like, I grew up hearing this analogy, this, about like you can go stand in the garage no matter how long you stand there no matter what sounds come out of you you're never going to be a car <laughs> and it and and it gets flipped around in a very soberling way that it doesn't matter how many bible studies you go to it doesn't matter how many church services you go to doesn't matter what tie you put on or what perfume you put on. It doesn't matter um, how many meetings you go to, prayer meetings or prayer vigils or how many songs you sing. What makes us Christian, what makes us followers of Christ is when we invest our trust into Jesus in such a way that we're following him and the trajectory is dependent on our trust in what he's doing. Amen. That is why we're Christian. It reminds me of um, of the 
the, uh, the rich young ruler that goes to Jesus and is like, I've done, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, oh, you know, do the commandments. And he goes, I've been doing them all. He's like, I've been going to church. I've been going to the Bible. I've been doing it for decades. I've been, I've been putting on, I've been dressing the part. I've been show, I'm never late to church. You ask my Sunday school teacher, I'm there even when they're not there. I never get sick. I, 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 I work, I'll work after hours, no matter what. Like I do everything for the church. I'm always there, right? Like that's what he's telling Jesus. I've, I've followed all the commandments. And then Jesus goes, okay. And Jesus simply says, well, then follow me. And said he went away and was sad. He'd have to give up everything. This is an example, I think, of someone that's stood in the garage for a while and they began to think they were a car. They've been going through all the motions. They've been doing all the things. They've been believing all the things. But they're not following Jesus. We must put our faith in Jesus. We must trust in Jesus in such a way, in such a capacity that the trajectory of my life is altered and there's not a backup plan in case Jesus isn't who he says he is. There's not a backup plan. When it starts to hurt, I don't have an alternative other than Jesus because, oh, it's getting a little painful and Jesus, I'll see you on the other side of this hill. I want to trust and invest my faith into Jesus in such a way that it changes the trajectory of what I do and who I do it for. Abraham is kind of difficult to relate to at times, but Rahab is a lot easier for me. Rahab, I imagine the story of Rahab, you got Jericho, big city, big walls. Um, if you watched Veggie Tales, there's a song. Where they keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking, but it isn't going to fall. It's plain to see that your brains are very small. To think walking, Sharon knows it. To think walking, we'll be knocking down our wall, right? That's what the, the guards, up, the little peas and veggie tails, everyone's a vegetable. And the little peas are up on the wall, like chanting that to God's people as they're marching every day in circles around Jericho. So the they send spies in to scout out Jericho and their contact, their person on the inside, the person, the mole within Jericho is Rahab the prostitute. And, and they climb in through a wall, through a hole in the wall. That was probably the fourth wall in her house. She just built her, like she lives on the very outskirt of what is the city Jericho. And so, her house had a front wall, two side walls, and then she just used the wall of Jericho as her back wall, probably. She had a window, though. See outside. and I imagine, I just see it in my head. I imagine her, like, talking with the Hebrews. And the Hebrews are like, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is what we're going to do. And so, like, you'll need to be out when this happens. This is, by the way, thank you for doing this for us. And she's like, yep, I'm trusting you. Like, and I just imagine like this really soberling moment between the messengers, between the, the spies that were going to go back to the Israelite camp and Rahab, where they begin to turn and walk away. And she goes, wait, I'm trusting you. 
because she's she's putting her faith in them. And the crazy thing to think about is if they do what they say they're going to do, she's going to lose everything. But she believes them and then she trusts such a way that she's like, I'm trusting you and I hope that it's true. It changed the trajectory of her life and she lost everything. Her her house was torn down when the wall fell. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about offering your life as a living sacrifice. This is your true act of worship that's holy and pleasing to the Lord. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And that is somewhat an oxymoron. A living sacrifice. It's like one of those supercharged slow cars. (laughs) Like it doesn't, a a living sacrifice. For something to be sacrificed means that it's, it's dead. And they would take these sacrifices, and once it had been sacrificed, they would put it up on the altar. And Paul writes to us in Romans 12, and he says, Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So a dead sacrifice, it it doesn't have to worry about getting off the altar. But as living sacrifices, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar if it wants. And the idea that, and so the, 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 the framework of like, you can't learn something new if you think you already know it. And the proposition that's, and the, the, the idea of like, if you're like, yeah, well, I don't crawl off the altar. Like, that's a dangerous mindset. Because it probably means you've already fallen off. <laughs> it means you're toeing the line. If you think you're beyond crawling off the altar, that's a that's that's a big red flag in life to say I need to reassess. I'm not. I, I need to deny myself the idea that I'm beyond doing something. My wife and I, Kendra, we um. I trust her, and she trusts me. But we also know that. Us being in our 30s, we are, we're, first off, you turn 30 and everything starts to fall apart. I, and I, and, 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 and y'all are telling, and I hear it over and over again, just wait. And I believe you. I have faith in what you're saying. I start, I take vitamins now. Okay. That's how much I have faith in what you're saying. Okay. And so, and so, but, you know, when you're, like, by the time you hit 30, I think you, you've begin to, some people have had then enough time to develop quite a resume of dumb decisions in life. You know what I mean? Mine's a little bit longer than Kendra's. <laughs> Kendra, since marrying Kendra, she's made that list grow at a slower rate with her accountability. But I know that Doing something dumb isn't beyond me. Someone said amen. Thank you. (laughs) And so, therefore, I have to have accountability in my life that reminds me of these things. 
that reminds me, don't even get close to the edge of that altar, Spencer. Stay in the center of it. And as soon as I'm, if I climb upon the altar and offer myself as a living sacrifice to God, as soon as I adopt the mindset of, yeah, I'm good. I can just move to this side or that side. I'm going to fall off. I have to stay focused. Lord God, I want to be centered on the altar, offering my life as a living sacrifice to you so that no matter what comes, no matter what earthquake tragedy in life happens, no matter what wind blows, no matter what falls from the sky, I know that I'm in the center of offering my life to you. And I've done so in such a way that I'm trusting that you are who you say you are and that you're doing what you said you're doing and that you're going to do what you said you will. He says that I go now and where I'm going, there are many rooms that you can be with me. I want to operate my life in such a way that I don't, I don't have to worry about whether or not I have because I'm investing my faith and my trust that changes the trajectory of my life. And so I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you into a life of surrender. And what this looks like, this is not, like an, this is not an altar call. This is not like a, like a we're going to say a magic prayer and we get to get on the school bus that takes us to heaven when we die. That's not what this is. This is an invitation into living a surrendered life with Christ. And so I want to invite you to make a habit of this. Every morning when you wake up, I want you to offer everything to God. And I made up a generic list, but you can make up your own list every morning of what you're going to say. And so, you, you roll out of bed you, and assume a, assume a posture of worship that can look like a bunch of different things. It's hard, to, it's hard to look dignified when you're wearing your pajamas sometimes. God's okay with that. Say, Lord God, I, I, wanna, I want you to have everything. Here are my hopes. Here are my dreams. Here are my desires. Here are my plans. Here's my checking account. Here's my savings account. And if you've invested well, here's my backup savings. Here's my retirement. Here's my job. Here's my home. Here's all my stuff. Here's my strength and my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul. I'm giving them to you and I'm trusting and hoping in you. I'm surrendering this all to you. Amen. And then Jesus, I love the way, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't love me the way that we love each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've all had a friend come up to us and tell us something important. And they're like, hey, I'm about to go into, like, the interview. And I'm really excited. Thank you for, like, helping me with all the sense. And the whole time you're looking at him, and you're just like, uh-huh. And you're nodding your head. But all you can think about is the thing stuck in their teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, you're like, Yeah well, good luck. And you're like, oh my gosh, how do I tell them? And you know, and you, so you don't, like we've all done that to someone in our life, right? With something or another. Well, God doesn't let you walk around with food in your mouth, in your teeth. He's the type of friend that says, hey, come here. That's a
when we invite the Holy Spirit into our heart, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to give us a nudge. And like a friend, like God called Abraham a friend, I believe that he wants to be my friend. I hope I can be a friend of God. I hope you can too. And I believe that in the same way that when we walk with our friend and we're side by side and we're going someplace that I don't know where we're going, but my friend does, my friend will, if we're turning to the right, imagine this with me. Lonnie, come here. Lonnie, Lonnie literally has no idea what I'm doing right now. This is awesome. This is perfect. So if, we're, if Lonnie and I are walking together and I'm going someplace, he's coming with me, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know if we're going this way. But if I, if I kind of start to cut him off here, see how he's, fo- he's beside me, but he's following me. And then I can go back over here and he might be directly behind me for a minute, but then he, I kind of turn and he catches up, right? And we walk around this, but then I can turn around. And so see how he's, thank you, Lonnie. Let's give it up for Lonnie. Did you see how he followed me? He followed me. The trajectory of his path was dependent on him trusting me and it, ha- and it came to him as a nudge or maybe a little distance. As I said, come on, go this way. Oh, we're going this way now. He was, okay, all right. He was trusting in that. And so will you pray with me? Lord God, we trust in you for the trajectory of our life. We pray, Lord God, that we would be able to invest our trust in you in such a way that the path we walk is dependent on who you are. That we would be sensitive to the nudging. To at times follow you by walking behind you and at times get to walk beside you because you're calling me friend. Amen.